I do love it when I go to speak somewhere and uh, God confirms what I'm going to say before I say it. So this morning, um, Anne opened up with a, a word, um, which is a word I'm going to be closing on about to open up your heart and invite God in. So I was super excited to hear that this morning. So today I want to talk about faith and doubt, which is a topic which relates to everybody here. In our Christian walk, we've had both faith and doubt, I'm sure. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul writes that we live by faith, not by sight. Very simple statement. We live by faith, not by sight. But do we? That's the question this morning. Do we practice that? Do we live by faith and not by sight? I've noticed that um, when I was putting together this uh, word this morning, I failed to put in the ultimate definition of faith, which is in, I find, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So I'm going to open up to the floor to the Bible scholars that are here. Can anybody tell me what's Hebrews 11, verse 1 say about faith? <laughs> There's general murmurs going in. About the room. Ah, let me ask that again. What's what's the NIV version? <laughs> Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of the things that you cannot see. So we don't live by sight if we live by faith, because we are certain of the things that we don't see right in front of our nose. There's lots of things I could say this morning about faith and doubt, but I really want to focus on one verse in Matthew's Gospel that has bugged me my whole Christian walk. And I just came to an answer a few weeks ago, and I really want to share that because I believe it's the word for today. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 17 and it's part of the Great Commission. You'll find the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, Mark's Gospel. And they're all worded slightly differently, but there's a verse in this Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel that I've always... Sorry? Very good, David. Did I tell you what the verse was? Matthew 28, verse 17. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. But the verse ends with, but some doubted. I've struggled with that for years because how is it possible? How on earth could the eleven disciples be there in front of the risen Christ? And doubt. Sometimes we hold up these 11 disciples as superheroes, spiritual superheroes, we think. They were the best of the best, the creme de la creme. My goodness, they were the chosen ones, the chosen ones to be with Jesus, the Son of God. But we forget how flawed these 11 disciples were. First time Peter meets Jesus after the miraculous catch of fish, he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
tells Jesus to go away. In Jesus' moment of greatest need, the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, boys, will you pray with me? And they fall asleep. And the road's somewhere. They're squabbling with each other. And Jesus says, what's going on? What's the rabble all about? And they say, well, we'll try to work out who you're going to pick to sit beside you in heaven. <laughs> How petty is that? <laughs> Imagine how many times Jesus would have just shook his head and said, oh, boys, come on. Get a grip here. When Jesus is arrested, what do they do? Are they, do they stand up and be counted? And they run away. And Peter even denies that he knows Jesus. That's the quality of these guys. How could they doubt? Three years they were with Jesus. And there's no doubt in my mind that the 11 disciples believed. My goodness, think of what they went through. Think of everything that they saw. Every miracle that they witnessed. How many times did their jaws drop? We read it again and again in the Gospels. They were amazed. In the middle of a storm, they think they're about to die. And Jesus just says, be still. And the wind and the waves die down. They come to Jesus, the blind, the lame, the deaf. And they see and they hear and they walk. My goodness. The dead are raised back to life. The brokenhearted are healed too. The unloved are loved. The establishment is challenged. Jesus again and again confirms that he is the Son of God. Through all these wonderful, miraculous things. And even at the worst moment, when Jesus is crucified, and the living are cowering away in fear of their own lives, because there's a mob after them, Jesus appears to them right in the middle of the room. He says, I told you. I told you. I was coming back. And then there's Thomas says, oh, but I didn't see him when all the rest of them are telling him. I didn't see him. Until I see him and I can actually touch those wounds, I will not believe. And Jesus accommodates him and turns up and says, on you go, Thomas. Have a feel. And here they are standing in front of the resurrected Christ. And it says in Matthew's gospel, some doubted. How can you doubt so I'm going to give you a wee Greek lesson. Because I'm, I'm all about the Greek, you know. <laughs> when you see the word that's used in this part of the Gospels here in Greek, the most common word used for doubt, which Jesus often used throughout the Gospels, the most common word used for doubt was diakrino. And I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly. <laughs> but in this little passage here, it's not this most common word for doubt that's used. It's a different word, distazo, which I'm sure I was pronouncing perfectly as well. Anybody Greek here? <laughs> There's some Greek blood in you, Stephen. But you thought that was pronounced perfectly. Ah, awesome. The word for distazo, although it means doubt, also means to be hesitant. Now that makes a lot more sense to me. That as the eleven worship Jesus, and he's saying, Cheerio boys, it's over to you now. Some would be hesitant. No doubt in my mind, they would be hesitant. But what were they hesitant about? That's the next question. 
Well, this verse here is in the middle of the Great Commission. Like I say, it's in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel. It's not in John's Gospel, but I do believe John chapter 14, verse 12 is really um, a kind of call to the Great Commission too. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus sums it up in one sentence. I'm going to come to that in a second. But uh, in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what does Jesus say? Just open up to the floor. What does he say in the Great Commission? What are the key points of the Great Commission? We'll have to go where? All over the world. And what will he do? Preach the gospel. And what signs will accompany you? Heal the sick. I would, I would say speaking tongues, but it's not specifically mentioned. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Well, speaking in tongues isn't a mention, but it should be. Ah, there's a couple of bizarre ones in there. Drink poison and you'll not be harmed. Pick up snakes and you'll not be harmed. I don't know why those two are in there. But believe it or not, there's some churches in America where they, they encourage people to go and pick up snakes as, as proof that they're a believer. So let me tell you how stupid that is. When in the last 50 years in America, there are 35 recorded deaths in churches for people picking up snakes. So let me just confirm. I've not had a chat with the leadership in this church. But nobody's going to be bringing snakes into Whitburn Pentecostal Church. (laughs) That's just not happening. I think there's a metaphorical, there's a symbolic statement in there by Jesus, but that's another talk for another day. John 14, verse 12, for me, is a very important verse in Scripture. But let me ask you first, question for everybody here today. Do you believe in the risen Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him? Do you sincerely believe in him? Because Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 12, if you believe in me, if you believe in me, you will do what I have been doing. Indeed, you will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I think this verse was in the mind of the disciples when they stood before him at that last time and they were hesitant He said that we're going to do what he's been doing. He said we're going to do even greater things. How is that possible? He's counting on us to to do what he's been doing. We have to carry on this work. I don't think I've got it in me. I don't think I'm good enough. I'm going to let him down. I've let him down so many times. I think that's the hesitancy that's in this passage in Matthew. But the good news is that we can trust Jesus. We can put our faith in Jesus. He doesn't say things lightly. He says things with a purpose and with truth. If you believe in me, you will. He doesn't say, wait wait till you've got your life in order. 
Wait till your health's better. Wait till your bank balance is better. Wait till your relationships are all sorted out. Wait until you're deeper into the words. Wait until you've got 40 years of Christian walk under your belt. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, if you believe in me, you will do what I've been doing. In fact, you will do even greater things because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that we know that uh, as you read the book of Acts, those disciples, those hesitant disciples, went with a lot of doubt and confusion in their mind, to be honest. They went to Jerusalem like Jesus asked, and they prayed in that upper room, and tongues of fire came out of heaven and filled them with the Holy Spirit. And they went out into the street, and they spoke in new languages. And thousands were added to the body that day. And they went on, and as you read more of Acts, they healed the sick. They did all these things that Jesus mentioned in the Great Commission. And so the authority says, oh my goodness, we thought this was all going to go away. This is getting worse. There's thousands and thousands of them now. And it's not just Jesus that's healing folk. It's his believers. So they arrested so many of the disciples. And they beat them up. And they chained them up. And then they brought them before the authorities and said, you need to stop this. Stop it now. Or we will kill you. And they let them go. And what do the disciples do? They say, ah, oh, we, better, we better just calm this down now, boys, because it's getting a bit out of your hand. They're going to kill us. No, they get together and they pray and they say, Lord, give us more. Give us more opportunities to go out and speak of your name. Give us more opportunities to go out and heal the sick and do all the things you've asked us to do. Give us more opportunities to do it. And God answers that prayer so powerfully with such a move of his Holy Spirit that the very building they were in shook with God's power. A living, ordinary guys that fell asleep when Jesus asked them to stick with them, that ran away when the troubles got tough. Jesus didn't wash his hands with them. He says, I'm choosing you. And he says the same to us. I'm choosing you. My plan, how I'm going to touch the world, I'm not going to intervene when I'm not asked. But when opportunities arise, I'm going to work through you because you carry my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to heal people through you. And I'm going to speak to people words of wisdom through you. That's his plan. The question is, are we opening ourselves up to the possibility? Are we walking by faith and not by sight? James chapter 2, verse 16, another simple verse which has such power in it. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without action is dead. We've all answered the question this morning, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? I'm asking the question, do you have faith in Jesus? Yes. That's great. That passage in James goes on to say, that's good that you've got faith. It's tremendous. But you know, the demons have got faith too. They believe in Jesus Christ. But unless you take that faith and put it into action, and you walk by faith, and not by sight, and you step forward and you step into what God's calling you to do, unless you do that, your faith is dead. Sorry, it's a big heavy word today. (laughs) But I'm going to lighten it up in a wee minute. For some reason in the UK, I've been very blessed to go around the world and share the gospel in many places. 
And uh, I'm really blown away by the third world countries, Christians in there. There is no reservation. They walk fully by faith. They will not just step forward in faith, they will jump in with both feet. It's tremendous. It's wonderful. It's very freeing. Nothing holds them back. God, if you're asking me to do this, I'm in there. Lovely. Tremendous. But for some reason, in this country, and in majority, statistically, the church in the UK is dying more than the traditional church. Pentecostal church is growing, which is tremendous. But for some reason, our witness in the UK has been diluted down. Our witness has become right and wrong arguments with people and little spiritual sound bites that we put up on Facebook. And it's not about what God's called us to do. So I'm going to now turn to our slideshow. So here's some messages that churches have been using in America. And I want you to ask yourself, (laughs) do these statements attract people to faith? Or did it increase people's doubt? So for those that can't read this, that's very big letters, don't let worries kill you, let the church help. (laughs) Next one, Nathan. (laughs) Can you imagine this right in front of Whitburn Pentecostal Church? We love hurting people. I think the police would turn up. (laughs) Send your kids to us, we love hurting people. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What a confidence. Next one, Nathan. To a dyslexic atheist, there is a dog. I personally find this very cruel. We're a church that's supposed to be communicating love, the greatest love that the world has ever known. But if you're dyslexic, we'll make fun of you. I think that's terrible. Next one. If you don't love God, go to hell. (laughs) Maybe that's attention grabbing. But is that a message of love? I don't think so. Nathan? Choose the bread of life or you are toast. Now that maybe works in the Bible Belt in America where everybody's got some kind of biblical understanding and they may know who the bread of life is. But if we put that up in Whitburn, nobody would get that apart from us. Next. Honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. So that's a big sign for the church right beside the road. So honk if you love Jesus. So if you're driving along, yeah, I love Jesus, honk, honk. I don't know what kind of Christians really want to do that, to be honest, because peeping your horn's annoying. I've um, got a friend in Wales who's a great evangelist, and uh, he, he came to faith kind of late in life, and he says, I really detested Christians. I really did. And he says, I couldn't believe, I couldn't understand why people would put bumper stickers on their car, honk if you love Jesus. And he says, every now and again, I'd be driving along and I would come across one of these cars and there are folk behind me going, peep, peep, peep. And he said, just really, just really annoy me. So I don't think that's a very great message anyway. Would you, would you peep your horn for Jesus? What, what does that mean, peep your horn for Jesus? Okay, next one. 
Try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back. <laughs> That's bizarre. Again, what kind of message? If you're not with Jesus, we're telling you that you're with the devil right now. Is that your opening line to somebody to try and introduce them to the Christian faith? Bizarre. Next one. I find your lack of faith disturbing, Darth Vader. <laughs> so that's great if you're into Star Wars. And uh, that's a quote from one of the characters, Darth Vader. And in America, Star Wars is real big. But is that really the message you want to send out from the church? Here is the message. As, as a stranger's walking past, come to your town for the first time, and that's the message that's outside your church. We quote Star Wars. I think that's a great way to reach people. I did find it funny right enough. but Salvation guaranteed or your sins cheerfully refunded. I find that such a mixed message. Bizarre. I think that's maybe the last one. But let's look anyway. No, no. If you don't like the way you were born, try being born again. I like that one, actually. I think that's good. I think people would be intrigued by that and say, what does it mean to be born again? That's a very question that was asked in the scriptures. What does it mean to be born again? Yeah, born from above. Well done, David. So, let's move on to the next slide. So again, this is what our Christian witness, for some reason, for many people, has been boiled down to in this country. We get involved in the right and wrong arguments with people. God exists. No, it doesn't he? Oh, let me tell you about him. And um, what does it really merit? What do we gain by having that kind of argument with someone? I don't know if you can read this guy's t-shirt. He says, I'm an atheist. Debate me. People love that. They just want to get into an argument. They want to bring the worst out of you. Uh, below that it says, atheism, a religion for people um, to appear smarter. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever spoke to many atheists who are very, very pro-atheism. Um, they like to think that they're intellectually smarter than you. That's what I've found anyway in my observations, that you're an idiot for following this invisible sky daddy. That's something that somebody said to me once. <laughs> the invisible sky daddy. Um, so, do we show a lot of love in these kind of arguments and debates? I don't think so. I don't like it when I see some of the uh, talk shows or, or, or news shows on, on, on the TV and they'll have, um, there's some topical debate going on and they'll have a stereotypical Christian representative for their viewpoint and someone who's very anti whatever the Christian position is. I've never seen one of these debates once where I think God's been represented well there because it's very aggressive, um, very disrespectful, very unloving. They talk over each other. They argue, you say black, I say white. That's not the way that we should be witnessing, I think, in this country. So let's go to the next slide. Witnessing, I think, should look more like this. That we're called to walk by faith. That we're called to do what Jesus has been doing. So what does that look like for us here in Whitburn? Well, let's get involved in everything that this church does to serve the community, to serve the young people. Whether that's those in nappies or primary school or secondary school or beyond secondary school. It's filling shoeboxes to go off to people who have nothing. And we are so in love into their life. It's serving people through the food bank 
who have empty bellies and worry about how they're going to feed their kids. And we say, there you go. Be blessed. Receive love. It's about going to Bulgaria and taking the message of hope with you and representing Jesus Christ. So let's go to the next slide, Nathan. What often holds us back about witnessing, about serving, about stepping out in faith is that we do naturally think, I'm not good enough. You know, my life's a mess right now. I have no money. My health's under threat. Uh, My relationships are all over the place. And we look to these things and say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to represent God. But at no point in any of the statements does Jesus say, wait until you've got it all sorted out. Because the truth is, we're never going to get things fully sorted out this side of heaven. See, we've been waiting for a long time. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will do this. And the good news is, it's not, the results are not up to us. The results are not up to us. It's God's business. He chooses to work through us. He knows our flaws, our strengths, and our weaknesses, and he chooses to work through us. That's his choice, his decision. And we just have to be open, uh, available, and willing. So let me share. Next slide, Nathan. Another wee passage here. It's a passage from Second Kings, chapter 6. A uh, story about Elisha. And Elisha the prophet has been given words of knowledge in this passage, prior to this passage, given words of knowledge to the king of Israel. Every time the enemies of Israel rise up against Israel, God's telling Elisha what they're about to do. So Elisha tells the king, and the armies of Israel are prepared, and they win every time. So eventually, the word gets out about this, and so the enemies say, you know, what we need to do is we need to take out Elisha. We need to assassinate him. And then we'll have a chance against Israel. So one morning, the armies of the enemies of Israel gather around the town where Elisha is. And read this passage. When the servant of the man of God got up, this is Second Kings chapter 6, reading from verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. You ever had a point in your life when you've said that? Oh my Lord, what shall we do? This is a disaster. This is a challenging situation. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked out and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there's Elisha, the prophet of God. And you think, oh, again, prophet, you know, he's, he's a spiritual superhero. But all, all the prophet is, is a man that God has chosen to say, well, I'm, I'm going to work through you. And you're making yourself available, so I'm really going to work through you. But Elisha prays so that his servant can see. Can you see what God's doing? 
Because there's so much that goes on in this world that we cannot see with our human eyes. Paul talks about that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, unseen things. And Elisha asked God to reveal to servant, can you see that actually God's got this situation under control, that we outnumber the enemy, and his servant can see that uh, the hills are full of these spiritual beings that are about to fight the battle for them. Uh, and the passage goes on that um, not a blow is even struck against Elisha or the people of that town. Um, tremendous. Tremendous stuff. But I came across this verse just recently. Um, I, uh, I was invited to go and speak an event down in the Channel Islands in Jersey a couple of months ago. And um, I prayed about it. I said, Lord, I'm really busy. This is, this is going to take two days out of my schedule. I'm actually the busiest I've ever been in my work. Two days is a lot. Is there not somebody else you can send to go and speak at this event, this outreach event? And I know this organization. I've been running this organization the same way for decades. It's an outreach event. And I'm pretty sure that if I go there, there'll be no non-Christians there. It'll all be Christians turning up to, to get a bless me message. Um, so what's the point in sending me all the way down there to go and speak to Christians at an outreach event? But I prayed about it, and I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to go. So I made myself available. I said, Lord, I'll go. If you want me to go, I'll go. Um, so I did. I took two days out my my schedule, uh, and I thought, well, um, I'll actually I'll, I'll get the earlier flight so I can get down, get to my hotel, and I'll take some work with me, and that'll help me to catch up. But when I flew down to London to get the connecting flight to Jersey, um, Jersey was consumed by fog, and I was delayed by five hours. Uh, and I couldn't find a place to work in the airport. I thought, this is great. This is going to be a great trip, this. Just being honest. Just being honest. And when I got to Jersey, I went to the event. The um, place was full. Um, uh, and I got to speak to everybody in the place. And lo and behold, everybody there was a Christian. I thought, what is the point of this? I said, Lord, but you've called me to be here. So there must be a purpose. So after I'd finished speaking... Uh, I did say, would anybody like me to pray with them uh, for anything? Uh, because the Bible says that uh, once, once you're there and you're witnessing, the signs will follow. And so there was uh, a line of people came forward. There was 15 people came forward for prayer. Um, but I can't honestly say I remember anything spectacular happening. Sometimes when I pray with people, you can feel there's a power, there's a presence. God's really doing something. I can't say I can particularly remember that that night. So I went home, and uh, a couple of months later, uh, when I was off on holiday, I received an email from a woman who was there that night, and uh, said, do you remember me? I came forward and asked for prayer, and she shared some of the details in this email. I remembered her, um, because as she stepped forward, she says, um, uh, I would wonder if you could pray for my healing. I said, anything in particular? She says, yeah, I've got cancer. I've had five operations, and I'm going for my sixth operation in April, and this is my last chance. If this doesn't work, it's, it's all over for me. Would you pray for my healing? I said, well, God's able to do anything. So let's ask God if he wants to heal you. Uh, and let's just pray about that. So we did. The woman says that um, in our email, when you prayed, she says, there was a warmth went through my body that it's difficult to put into words. There was a power moved through me. She says, when I went home that night, I hadn't told you, but since 2001, I've been addicted to sleeping tablets. She says, for that night, for the first time, 
in 16 years and didn't want to take a sleeping tablet and I fell asleep immediately and I had a perfect sleep and I've never touched a sleeping tablet since. But he said, I've just been to the hospital uh, for my pre-op assessment. She said, I had scans after my last operation and they confirmed the cancer was back, it was aggressive. And so they wanted to take new scans for this pre-op assessment so they knew how far the cancer had grown. Um, and she said, the doctor, the consultant came in and says, I don't understand this. I have your old scans, I have your new scans. There is no cancer in your body. It's all gone. She said, I was so shocked, I said, I don't believe you. I demand a second opinion. <laughs> and so, um, and she, she refused to leave until she got a second opinion, so they took her for the tests again. Did the tests again, new consultant came in, uh, and he says, we've only done this because we're so shocked by this. We thought, there must be something wrong. There could be something wrong with instruments or whatever. So we've redone the test um, and the scans. And we have the old scan and the new scan. Said, there is no cancer in your body. We're canceling your operation. You're free to go. Hallelujah. God is wonderful. Yeah. But I prayed over that email for, for weeks. Said, Lord, how is it possible? How is it possible that I went there with probably a bit of a stinking attitude, to be honest? But I made myself available to you. And I said, you, you wanted me to go, and that, that must be the purpose you wanted me to go. But I had this attitude, and I didn't even feel anything when I prayed with this woman. How is that possible? And the Holy Spirit brought to these verses to my mind. And he said, Stephen, I'm always at work. I'm always at work. And it's me that heals people. And it's me that does all these things. I just decided to work through you this time. You got a problem with that? <laughs> and he shared these verses from Alicia. He said, now and again, he says, I'll open your eyes, but you don't have to see everything I'm doing. Just you focus on being available to me. And that's the word for us today. There's nothing special about me. I even went with a stinking attitude to that meeting. And yet God still chose to heal that woman. It was him that healed this woman. Only he has the power to heal, to restore, to forgive. Our job is to be available. That's our only job, to walk in faith and say, God, if you want to do something, I'm available. Just you turn up and do it. I'm open to you. And so, the last verse I want to share today, um, and last slide, yeah, perfect, Nathan. Um, is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Again, a very famous verse in which Jesus basically standing at the door of your heart and says, Behold, I knock. If anyone hears me and opens up the door, I will come in and I will sit with them and I will sup with them. It's a very famous verse. But a number of years ago, I've been a Christian for a long time, and it was about eight years ago, I was at a conference, and um, there was a guy who came and spoke to me, wonderful guy, a Serbian man who had ran a business in Sweden. His name was Zoran Kovacevic, lovely guy. And uh, one of the few times this has really happened in my life, and uh, he said, can I speak to you in private? I said, yeah, that's great. Uh, so I went and spoke with him. He says, I believe the Lord has a word for you. I want to share with you Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I thought, oh, this is great. I'm a Christian, though, and I've invited God into my heart. I don't know where this is going to go. He says, Stephen, God spoke to me. Jesus said that he wants to sit down with you every day. He wants to sit down with you and chat and chill. 
and talk with you. And he, he wants to, through that, at times guide you and sometimes encourage you. But on a daily basis, you're not opening that door to him. On a daily basis, you're saying, I'm too busy. And you're doing the minimum. He says, you're, you're actually opening the door when you hear the knock. You're opening the door just enough to shout through your requests for the day. Jesus, will you help me with this? I'm worried about this. Will you help me with that? And then when you see Jesus nodding, you shut the door. But Jesus is still standing there saying, I wanted to come in. He says, you're not giving yourself 100% to God. You're giving yourself 10% on a daily basis to God. And I really want to share that with you today. Some people do, no matter how long your Christian walk is. On a daily basis, I believe Jesus does stand at the door of your heart and say, can I come in? Can we hang out? Can I spend time with you? Can we fellowship together? Can we be together in each other's presence and just enjoy each other's company? And from that, our relationship is really going to flourish. But some of us are just opening up that door a little bit and saying, well... Nice that you've popped around again today, but let me just give you my request and then you can be on your way and I'll get on with my day. I'm really busy. And some of us invite them in, but we only take them into that one room in our house that's always tidy for the guests. <laughs> you know, the one that's really been shined and polished and cleaned and it's the best of furniture that's in there. And we say, Jesus, in you come. That's great. I've got the best tea for you as well. I'm going to bring that in. But we're embarrassed to show them anywhere else in our house. And yet the truth is, and we think, we're not going to let them into the rest of the house until I get it all cleaned up and tidied up. But the truth is, we cannot tidy and clean our house up, not the way that Jesus can. And he wants to come in and say, tell you what, I've got the hoover with me as well, and I've got the duster, and let's get this place shining. Let's get this place looking fantastic. Let's do it together. But we're embarrassed. And we say, no, I'm not letting you see this mess. The truth is, he already knows what the mess is. So I want you to have a wee bit of internal reflection today. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Are you letting Jesus in 100% every day and say, come on in. I've been waiting for you to come. Let's sit down and have a meal together. And let's chat. I've got so much to talk to you about. Because I want to know what your opinion is on this, and this, and this. And I'm needing guidance on this. And Jesus would say... And I've got some stuff for you as well. If you're not too busy, I want you to go down to Jersey because there's a woman that I want to heal and I'm choosing just to use your tiny little prayer. And I want to do other things. I want to touch this world in a way that nobody else can. And I can only do it when you're available because I have a plan and I've got a purpose for your life. There's so much more that I want to accomplish in this world and there's so much more I want to accomplish in your life. And all I need is for you to give me your time. Just open up your house to me and every day I'll come in and I'm going to make an amazing house. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Because I can do it. So that's the question today. And that's where we're going to close on just now. So I just want everybody to close their eyes for a moment. I just want you to reflect for the next minute. Just think, where are you with Jesus right now? Honestly, are you opening up your door and saying, Jesus, come in to the whole house. It's yours. Everything that I have is yours. This is your house.
Love it if that's the position you're in. Love it. But for some reason, have you just been opening the door to shout your requests and shut the door? Or have you been bringing Jesus in just to the one area that you're happy with? Church on a Sunday. So maybe if you're in a position just now that today can be a turning point, that you can start afresh. Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He doesn't keep a record of disappointments. He's just there knocking right now to say, come on, I want to change Whitburn. I want to change West Lothian. Are you with me? Are you part of this? Because I'm going to do amazing things through you. I've planned it all. I've planned it all. Just give yourself 100% to me. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you for the way that you do love us unconditionally, completely. You don't keep a record of wrongs. You just want to lavish us with your love and your grace and your mercy. And you choose, Lord, we don't understand why, but you choose to work through us, us of little faith, us of little talent or ability. But through us, Lord, you do amazing, wonderful, life-changing, world-changing, transformational work. Lord, this day we open our hearts to you and we invite you to come in 100%. Lord, whatever you have in plan, whatever your plan is for Whitburn Pentecostal Church, Lord, we're open to it. Whatever you want to do in Whitburn through this church, Lord, we say we're open to it. And Father, whatever you want to do in our lives, however you want to touch our family, our neighbours, our work colleagues, or our students that we study with, Lord, the people that we come in contact with, Lord, whatever you want to do to touch these people through us, Lord, we're open to it. Thank you, Father, for your love, for your patience with us. Thank you for choosing to work through us Thank you for sending Jesus as our example and as a sacrifice that allows us to be your children. We love you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.